Have you ever been involved in market research? It's quite an interesting process, whether it's on the phone or they bring you somewhere. They want to ask you a whole bunch of questions, maybe look at some different pictures, maybe taste some different things. They are very eager to find out whatever, what you think about whatever it is they're developing. How you react, whether you like it or not, your bottom line about their product. Jesus did some market research. He did it with his own disciples. When he turned to them one day and he said, who do you think I am? Jesus knew, but he wanted the disciples to think about it. He asked them what the people were saying. It was interesting when this happened because it was really at the end of the third year of Jesus' ministry. He'd been working now throughout Israel, doing his teaching. And in many ways, Jesus was by now big news. He was the talk of the day. People wanted to know, where was he now? Had you heard of some new miracle he had done? Is he coming to Jerusalem? There was almost an anticipation of some kind of conflict with the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And nobody wanted to miss that show. Was there some new miracle? Had you seen him heal somebody? There were all of these stories floating around about Jesus. And they didn't have TV to watch or a newspaper to read. It was just word of mouth. And who had heard of the newest incident with this guy that was just the talk of the town? Part of what was interesting about Jesus is, and, and I really want you to try and go with me back 2,000 years when you haven't read the New Testament, okay? You don't know the rest of the story. For those people in that day, Jesus came out of nowhere. Nobody would heard about him. Nobody knew his family. For the first 30 years of his life, he lived in this very little backwoods town, sort of now then, Nazareth. And he apprenticed with his dad to learn how to be a carpenter. He didn't go to any seminaries. He didn't go to any big schools in any big cities. Nobody knew about him. And then suddenly he bursts onto the scene. Up until Jesus shows up, the talk of the town had been this guy, John the Baptist, who was down in the Jordan River. Sort of this prophet condemning the establishment and telling people, you better get down here and repent and be baptized. And everybody was talking about John until one day this guy shows up named Jesus. And he gets baptized and some people talk about some really weird things happening when he did. And suddenly John is saying, don't listen to me anymore, follow him. And people started hearing about this guy named Jesus. And it grew and grew. Because whenever people went to hear him, they heard somebody teach with a wisdom and a knowledge of the Bible like he had been to school and beyond. But he hadn't. He was very articulate. He spoke clearly. He was an excellent communicator. So much so that the conclusion was nobody ever taught like this guy. And the evidence of that was that literally thousands of people would walk miles to hear him teach. I thought about that this morning. 
How many of you would head for Isanti now to hear me preach later? And if you're lucky, you get to sit on a donkey. The other alternative is walking. There would not be a big crowd, and I'm, I understand that. It really is amazing that Jesus would show up to teach out in the country and thousands would come hearing. What a statement about this guy who came out of nowhere. And suddenly everybody was talking about him. And part of what they were saying is, you got to go because some really weird things happen. You know, blind people start seeing and we were on the hills one day, and they started passing around these baskets, and the food wouldn't quit coming out of the baskets. Nobody could explain it, but they just kept taking out bread and fish and bread and fish and bread and fish, and thousands of us ate out of a few baskets. And we actually quit eating to just watch the food keep coming out of the baskets. And it wasn't just that he worked miracles, he was controversial too. People loved to hear him because sometimes he would challenge those in power. He would point out the inconsistencies and the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And he wasn't afraid to spend his time with sinners, ordinary people who'd blown it in life. And he emphasized God's law, but he showed the absurdity of legalism. And he loved those, he loved to make uncomfortable those who were in power. And so the truth is, everyone was asking, who is this Jesus? That's when Jesus turns to his disciples and says, well, what are you hearing? Who do people say that I am? What's the word on the streets? How are they explaining me? What are their conclusions about what they're seeing and hearing and watching? Oh, there's one more fact we need to add to the mix. As Jesus was doing all this, he told people, and by the way, I'm God. Repeatedly, he would use phrases that were reserved only for the Messiah, where Jesus would say, I am the Son of Man. It's a phrase out of Daniel. It's shorthand for a Jew that says, I'm the Messiah, God's anointed. And he wouldn't just use shorthand like that. Sometimes he would just come right out and say, I am God. If you know me, you know the Father. I am. Again, shorthand for God. Well, after Jesus had done all of that, you can imagine that not only was everybody talking about him, but there weren't a lot of neutral people. There was really two groups, two opinions about Jesus some loved him. If you, I, I want us to turn over to Matthew 16 because that's where this incident occurs. To get them thinking, Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? And then he turns to them and says, well, what about you? Matthew 16, 15 through 16. What about you, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? 
Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. For those who loved Jesus, the evidence was too strong. It was unavoidable. Who he was, what he was like, how he taught, his wisdom, his understanding of God, the law, everything spiritual. But not just his teaching, but how he treated people. He loved all people, even broken people. And was most patient with them. And the only people he was really harsh on were those who were legalistic and hypocritical. But even the quality of his own life, where he was willing to serve and care and help and feed, not afraid to touch a leper, not afraid to defend a woman who's put on trial. His love was so obvious and so big and so real. And then, of course, there were his miracles and his power where even the storms and the wind and the waves obeyed him. And demons ran from him, and he could heal all manner of illnesses, even raising the dead back to life. And his own words, his teaching and his statement that said, I am the Son of God. And Peter and many others, looking at all the evidence, watching him, following him, said, we believe. We agree. You are just who you say you are. But that wasn't true for everyone. Not everyone believed. Not everyone agreed with what Jesus was saying. Some, in fact, hated him. Some thought he was a fraud. You can't be the Son of God and just be a human. And everybody knew that the Son of God, whenever He showed up, this Messiah would come with this mighty army and, and lightning and, and a big show, so nobody would miss it. And Jesus came from Nazareth. He was a common person. So there's no way He could be the Son of God. But it wasn't just that they were skeptical of a fraud. The, the truth is, Jesus had offended many of them because he called them to account. He pointed out their hypocrisy. He didn't go along. He pointed out the emptiness of their legalism. And most of all, he showed that knowing facts about God is not the same as having a relationship with God. And out of all of that, they had come to hate Jesus. There's many incidents where we see this hatred, this group opposed to Jesus growing. I want us to look at one example, one incident. If you turn over with me to Mark 3. There's a, an interesting story here that just captures this whole struggle with who is Jesus. The synagogue was their church, just like this today, okay? Mark 3, verse 1. 
Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Now, I I, want to stop there for a second, because this is really an amazing incident, and, and I want you to understand what's going on. First of all, there's already this group of folks who've decided Jesus is a fraud, and we need to stop him. And so right now, they are just watching him like hawks to see what they can find as evidence to accuse him. And it's the Sabbath. Now, in Jesus' day, this legalism, and you know, one of the Ten Commandments is you should observe the Sabbath and not work. Okay, that was a, a, an intelligent, good direction from God, so we'd reconnect with him and not become workaholics. Good stuff. One of the Ten Commandments. But legalism had turned it into this absurd thing of what was work. So you could walk three miles, but you couldn't walk four miles. You couldn't cook, but you could serve the food. You cooked the day before and then served it. Oh, and the legalism became so absurd, if you had to travel more than three miles, you took something from home, walked three miles, you put it down, now you get another three miles. I'm, I'm serious, that, that's how absurd the legalism had become. All over this good directive of God that says you need to take off from work and you need to come and re- reconnect with me. And so what they're going to watch for, does Jesus do anything on the Sabbath that they can label as work? And there's a whole bunch of normal stuff that we would say is not work that their rules said, well, that's work, including healing. Now, Jesus knows what's coming because they've already had this argument repeatedly. So he knows their views and he sees the need of somebody there. And he already knows what's going on in their heads. So Jesus, verse 3, Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Jesus is not backing down. He could have reached over and touched the guy and healed his hand and not made a big deal of it. But he said, no, we might as well bring this to a head. Stand up. I want everybody to watch, including my enemies. And I want to give them all the ammunition they want. And so the guy stands up. He hadn't read the Gospel of Mark. He didn't know what was coming. He probably knew Jesus' reputation, and I would think he began to hope. Do I get one of the miracles? Then Jesus asked them, his enemies. Now, nothing's happened yet except he's had the guy stand up. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? And they remained silent. They wouldn't say a thing busted. Jesus knew exactly what they were trying to do, and they knew anything they would say would just dig a hole for themselves. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Please capture that. We see the heart of Jesus He is angry at them that they don't get it and they won't listen and they won't open up their minds. But notice what he wants. He is distressed at their stubborn hearts that they refuse to see the truth. And so he says to the man, 
stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was already healed. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. We got to get rid of this guy. One more thing so you understand all this. The Pharisees working with the Herodians, I was trying to compare that to something for us today, and I hit on a really good one. The Tea Party and the ACLU. Okay? They were that far apart. And they said, we got to get rid of this guy. We'll even start working with our opposite enemies. we got to get rid of this guy. Well, you want to read the next chapter in the story to find out what happens. Because that's what comes this week. But I wanted to go this far and read that passage because you see the truth is we all face the same choice they did. We all have to decide what we do with Jesus. He's here. He's real. And even if you're an unbeliever, there is, uh, there is more historical evidence that there was a Jesus born in Nazareth who lived in the first century than there is evidence that George Washington existed. Now, it's obvious there was George Washington. But there's more evidence that there was Jesus of Nazareth. And that he lived and had an enormous following and shook up the entire nation of Palestine, Israel, in the first century. So then you have to decide, what do you do with him? We know he existed. And there's only a few options. I put in the notes, if, if you don't have, grab the notes, because I want to read a quote that I put in there from C.S. Lewis. It's a great summary of our choices. What do we do with Jesus? C.S. Lewis wrote, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense, nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. He's not just a good teacher. As Lewis says, we in fact have three choices. He either is the Son of God, God himself come to earth, God in human form, or he's crazy. For what he said, for what he claimed. If he's not the Son of God, then he is mentally incompetent. He is delusional. Just based on his own words. Or he is a fraud. The ultimate lying con artist. Running one of the biggest scams in history. And yet if you look at Jesus' life, at his teachings, at his actions at his character as we see it in his words and deeds. We're left with one conclusion. I think, and most of us in this room, if not all, he must be the Son of God. 
And you see, if we arrive at that conclusion as it did for Peter, it changes everything. Because now what he says becomes vitally important. It's God speaking. And what he does becomes something we want to watch every detail of because we learn about God as we watch him. And we get to see into the very character and personality of the God of the universe because he's down walking on our turf. And we get to see him with good people and bad people, people who like him and people who hate him, strangers and best friends, men and women, young and old. And we get to see into the very character of God as we watch Jesus. And most of all, what we're going to see in the next two weeks is not just an incredibly nice human. What we are going to see in the next two weeks is God himself going through incredible pain for us. And what we're going to see in the next two weeks takes on entirely new significance if it's God come to earth allowing the weak, little bitty humans he created, allowing them to torture him and scourge him and kill him. And why in the world would the God of the universe allow that? When with one word, he could kill every Roman, every Pharisee, every enemy. And that's what we're going to talk about in these two next two weeks and celebrate. For what it says that God feels about me and you. What he was willing to do. But we are left, even today, with that very same question. Who do you say that I am. And it's not me who asks that. It is Jesus who says to every one of us, who do you say that I am? And we are left with those choices. We can't just ignore him. It's God standing in front of you, or at least somebody who claims to be God. We have to decide. Is he crazy? Is he a liar? Or is he God? And if he is, then like Peter, we come to the point of saying, you are our Savior and our Lord. I accept you. I bow before you. I want you as my Savior and Lord. You are God. You are Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for asking Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth. Jesus, thank you for all you said and did for who you were down here and what you showed us 
what you taught us about humanity and what you taught us about God. You are our God, our Savior, our Lord. We acknowledge you. We bow before you as Peter did. Thank you for loving us and inviting us, wanting us to come to you and accept you as our God. In your name.